Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain Chapter Twenty One The Pilgrims When I did get to bed at last I was unspeakably tired. The stretching out and the relaxing of the long tense muscles how luxurious, how delicious! But that was as far as I could get. Sleep was out of the question for the present. The ripping and tearing and squealing of the nobility up and down the halls and corridors was pandemonium come again, and kept me broad awake. Being awake, my thoughts were busy, of course, and mainly they busied themselves with Sandy's curious delusion. Here she was, as sane a person as the kingdom could produce, and yet, from my point of view, she was acting like a crazy woman. My land, the power of training, of influence, of education! It can bring a body up to believe anything. I had to put myself in Sandy's place to realize that she was not a lunatic. Yes, and put her in mine, to demonstrate how easy it is to seem a lunatic to a person who has not been taught as you have been taught. If I had told Sandy I had seen a wagon, uninfluenced by enchantment, spin along fifty miles an hour, had seen a man, unequipped with magic powers, get into a basket and soar out of sight among the clouds, and had listened, without any necromancer's help, to the conversation of a person who was several hundred miles away, Sandy would not merely have supposed me to be crazy, she would have thought she knew it. Everybody around her believed in enchantments. Nobody had any doubts. To doubt that a castle could be turned into a sty, and its occupants into hogs, would have been the same as my doubting among Connecticut people the actuality of the telephone and its wonders, and in both cases would be absolute proof of a diseased mind, an unsettled reason. Yes, Sandy was sane. That must be admitted. If I also would be sane, to Sandy, I must keep my superstitions about unenchanted and unmiraculous locomotives, balloons, and telephones to myself. Also I believed that the world was not flat, and hadn't pillars under it to support it, nor a canopy over it to turn off a universe of water that occupied all space above. But as I was the only person in the kingdom afflicted with such impious and criminal opinions, I recognized that it would be good wisdom to keep quiet about this matter, too, if I did not wish to be suddenly shunned and forsaken by everybody as a madman. The next morning Sandy assembled the swine in the dining-room and gave them their breakfast, waiting upon them personally, and manifesting in every way the deep reverence which the natives of her island, ancient and modern, have always felt for rank, let its outward casket and the mental and moral contents be what they may. I could have eaten with the hogs, if I had had birth approaching my lofty official rank, but I hadn't, and so accepted the unavoidable slight, and made no complaint. Sandy and I had our breakfast at the second table. The family were not at home. I said, "'How many are in the family, Sandy, and where do they keep themselves?' "'Family?' "'Yes. Which family, good my lord?' "'Why, this family, your own family.' "'Sooth to say, I understand you not. I, I have no family.' "'No family? Why, Sandy, isn't this your home?' "'Now, how indeed might that be? I have no home.' Well, then, uh, whose home is this? Ah, which you well I would tell you, and I knew myself. Come, you don't even know these people? Then who invited us here? Not invited us. We but came, that is all. 
why woman this is a most extraordinary performance the effrontery of it is beyond admiration we blandly march into a man's house and cram it full of the only really valuable nobility the sun has yet discovered in the earth and then it turns out that we don't even know the man's name how did you ever venture to take this extravagant liberty i supposed of course it was your home what will the man say what will he say forsooth what can he say but give thanks thanks for what her face was filled with a puzzled surprise verily thou troublest mine understanding with strange words do you dream that one of his estate is like to have the honor twice in his life to entertain company such as we have brought to grace his house withal well no when you come to that no it's it's an even bet that this is the first time he has had a treat like this then let him be thankful and manifest the same by grateful speech and due humility he were a dog else in the air and the ancestor of dogs to my mind the situation was uncomfortable it might become more so it might be a good idea to muster the hogs and move on so i said the day is wasting sandy it is time to get the nobility together and be moving wherefore fair sir and boss we want to take them to their home don't we la but list to him they be of all the regions of the earth each must hie to her own home wend you we might do all these journeys in one so brief life as he hath appointed that created life and thereto death likewise with help of adam who by sin done through persuasion of his helpmeet she being wrought upon the betrayed by the beguilements of the great enemy of man that serpent hight satan aforetime consecrated and set apart unto that evil work by overmastering spite and envy begotten in his heart through fell ambitions that did blight and mildew a nature erst so white and pure when so it hove with the shining multitudes its brethren born in glade and shade of that fair heaven wherein all such as native be to that rich estate and great scott my lord well you know we haven't got time for this sort of thing don't you see we could distribute these people around the earth in less time than it is going to take you to explain that we can't we mustn't talk now we must act you want to be careful you mustn't let your mill get the start of you that way at a time like this to business now and sharp's the word who is to take the aristocracy home even their friends these will come for them from the far parts of the earth this was lightning from a clear sky for unexpectedness and the relief of it was like pardon to a prisoner she would remain to deliver the goods of course well then sandy as our enterprise is handsomely and successfully ended i will go home and report and if ever another one i also am ready i will go with thee this was recalling the pardon how how will you go with me why should you will i be traitor to my knight dost think that were dishonor i may not part from thee until in knightly encounter in the field some overmatching champion shall fairly win and fairly wear me i were to blame and i thought that that might ever hap elected for the long term i sighed to myself i may as well make the best of it so then i spoke up and said all right let us make a start while she was gone to cry her farewells over the pork I gave that whole peerage away to the servants, and I asked them to take a duster and dust around a little where the nobilities had mainly lodged and promenaded, but they considered that that would be hardly worth while, and would moreover be a rather grave departure from custom, 
and therefore likely to make talk. A departure from custom, that settled it. It was a nation capable of committing any crime but that. The servants said they would follow the fashion, a fashion grown sacred through immemorial observance. They would scatter fresh rushes in all the rooms and halls, and then the evidence of the aristocratic visitation would be no longer visible. It was a kind of satire on nature. It was the scientific method, the geologic method. It deposited the history of the family in a stratified record, and the antiquary could dig through it and tell by the remains of each period what changes of diet the family had introduced successively for a hundred years. The first thing we struck that day was a procession of pilgrims. It was not going our way, but we joined it, nevertheless, for it was hourly being borne in upon me now that if I would govern this country wisely, I must be posted in the details of its life, and not at second hand, but by personal observation and scrutiny. This company of pilgrims resembled Chaucer's in this, that it had in it a sample of about all the upper occupations and professions the country could show, and a corresponding variety of costume. There were young men and old men, young women and old women, lively folk and grave folk. They rode upon mules and horses, and there was not a side-saddle in the party, for this specialty was to remain unknown in England for nine hundred years yet. It was a pleasant, friendly, sociable herd, pious, happy, merry, and full of unconscious coarseness and innocent indecencies. What they regarded as the merry tale went the continual round and caused no more embarrassment than it would have caused in the best English society twelve centuries later. Practical jokes worthy of the English wits of the first quarter of the far-off nineteenth century were sprung here and there and yonder along the line, and compelled the delightedest applause and sometimes when a bright remark was made at one end of the procession, and started on its travels toward the other, you could note its progress all the way by the sparkling spray of laughter it threw off from its bows as it ploughed along, and also by the blushes of the mules in its wake. Sandy knew the goal and purpose of this pilgrimage, and she posted me. She said, "'They journey to the Valley of Holiness, for to be blessed of the godly hermits, and drink of the miraculous waters, and be cleansed from sin. Where is this watering-place? It lieth a two-day journey hence, by the borders of the land that height the cuckoo kingdom. Tell me about it. Is it a celebrated place? Oh, of truth, yes! There be none more so. Of old time there lived there an abbot and his monks. Belike were none in the world more holy than these, for they gave themselves to study of pious books, and spoke not the one to the other, or indeed to any, and ate decayed herbs, and naught thereto, and slept hard, and prayed much, and washed never. Also they wore the same garment until it fell from their bodies through age and decay. Right so came they to be known of all the world by reason of these holy austerities, and visited by rich and poor, and reverenced. Proceed but always there was lack of water there, whereas upon a time the holy abbot prayed, and for answer a great stream of clear water burst forth by miracle in a desert place. Now were the fickle monks tempted of the fiend, and they wrought with their abbot unceasingly by beggings and beseechings that he would construct a bath, and when he was become a-weary and might not resist more, he said, Have ye your will, then, and granted that they asked. Now mark thou what tis to forsake the ways of purity the which he loveth, 
and wanton with such as be worldly and an offense these monks did enter into the bath and come thence washed as white as snow and lo in that moment his sign appeared in miraculous rebuke for his insulted waters ceased to flow and utterly vanished away they fared mildly sandy considering how that kind of crime is regarded in this country belike but it was their first sin and they had been of perfect life for long and differing in naught from the angels prayers tears torturings of the flesh all was vain to beguile that water to flow again even processions even burnt offerings even votive candles to the virgin did fail every each of them and all in the land did marvel how odd to find that even this industry has its financial panics and at times sees its assignats and greenbacks languish to zero and everything come to a standstill go on sandy and so upon a time after year and day the good abbot made humble surrender and destroyed the bath and behold his anger was in that moment appeased and the waters gushed richly forth again and even unto this day they have not ceased to flow in that generous measure then i take it nobody has washed since he that would assay it could have his halter free yes and swiftly would he need it too the community has prospered since even from that very day the fame of the miracle went abroad into all lands from every land came monks to join they came even as the fishes come in shoals and the monastery added building to building and yet others to these and so spread wide its arms and took them in and nuns came also and more again and yet more and built over against the monastery on the yon side of the vale and added building to building until mighty was that nunnery and these were friendly unto those and they joined their loving labors together and together they built a fair and great foundling asylum midway of the valley between you spoke of some hermits sandy these have gathered there from the ends of the earth a hermit striveth best where there be multitudes of pilgrims ye shall not find no hermit of no sort wanting if any shall mention a hermit of a kind he thinketh new and not to be found but in some far strange land let him but scratch among the holes and caves and swamps that line that valley of holiness and whatsoe'er be his breed it skills not he shall find a sample of it there i closed up alongside of a burly fellow with a fat good-humored face proposing to make myself agreeable and pick up some further crumbs of fact but i had hardly more than scraped acquaintance with him when he began eagerly and awkwardly to lead up in the immemorial way to that same old anecdote the one sir dinadan told me what time i got into trouble with sir sagamore and was challenged of him on account of it i excused myself and dropped to the rear of the procession sad at heart willing to go hence from this troubled life this veil of tears this brief day of broken rest of cloud and storm of weary struggle and monotonous defeat and yet shrinking from the change as remembering how long eternity is and how many have wended thither who know that anecdote early in the afternoon we overtook another procession of pilgrims but in this one was no merriment no jokes no laughter no playful ways nor any happy giddiness whether of youth or age yet both were here both age and youth gray old men and women strong men and women of middle age young husbands young wives 
little boys and girls, and three babies at the breast. Even the children were smileless. There was not a face among all these half a hundred people but was cast down, and bore that set expression of hopelessness which is bred of long and hard trials and old acquaintance with despair. They were slaves. Chains led from their fettered feet and their manacled hands to a sole-leather belt about their waists, and all except the children were also linked together in a file six feet apart, by a single chain which led from collar to collar all down the line. They were on foot, and had tramped three hundred miles in eighteen days, upon the cheapest odds and ends of food, and stingy rations of that. They had slept in these chains every night, bundled together like swine. They had upon their bodies some poor rags, but they could not be said to be closed. Their irons had chafed the skin from their ankles, and made sores which were ulcerated and wormy. Their naked feet were torn, and none walked without a limp. Originally there had been a hundred of these unfortunates, but about a half had been sold on the trip. The trader in charge of them rode a horse, and carried a whip with a short handle and a long heavy lash divided into several knotted tails at the end. With this whip he cut the shoulders of any that tottered from weariness and pain, and straightened them up. He did not speak. The whip conveyed his desire without that. None of these poor creatures looked up as we rode along by. They showed no consciousness of our presence, and they made no sound but one. That was the dull and awful clank of their chains from end to end of the long file, as forty-three burdened feet rose and fell in unison. The file moved in a cloud of its own making. All these faces were gray with a coating of dust. One has seen the like of this coating upon furniture in unoccupied houses, and has written his idle thought in it with his finger. I was reminded of this when I noticed the faces of some of those women, young mothers carrying babes that were near to death and freedom, how a something in their hearts was written in the dust upon their faces, plain to see, and, Lord, how plain to read, for it was the track of tears. One of these young mothers was but a girl, and it hurt me to the heart to read that writing, and reflect that it was come up out of the breast of such a child, a breast that ought not to know trouble yet but only the gladness of the morning of life. And no doubt she reeled just then, giddy with fatigue, and down came the lash and flicked a flake of skin from her naked shoulder. It stung me as if I had been hit instead. The master halted the file and jumped from his horse. He stormed and swore at this girl, and said she had made annoyance enough with her laziness, and as this was the last chance he should have, he would settle the account now. She dropped on her knees and put up her hands, and began to beg and cry and implore in a passion of terror, but the master gave no attention. He snatched the child from her, and then made the men-slaves who were chained before and behind her throw her on the ground and hold her there and expose her body. And then he laid on with his lash like a madman till her back was flayed, she shrieking and struggling the while piteously. One of the men who was holding her turned away his face and for this humanity he was reviled and flogged. All our pilgrims looked on and commented on the expert way in which the whip was handled. They were too much hardened by lifelong everyday familiarity with slavery to notice that there was anything else in the exhibition that invited comment. This was what slavery could do, in the way of ossifying what one may call the superior lobe of human feeling, for these pilgrims were kind-hearted people and they would not have allowed that man to treat a horse like that. 
I wanted to stop the whole thing and set the slaves free, but that would not do. I must not interfere too much and get myself a name for riding over the country's laws and the citizens' rights roughshod. If I lived and prospered, I would be the death of slavery, uh, that I was resolved upon. But I would try to fix it, so that when I became its executioner, it should be by command of the nation. Just here was the wayside shop of a smith, and now arrived a landed proprietor who had bought this girl a few miles back, deliverable here where her irons could be taken off. They were removed, then there was a squabble between the gentleman and the dealer as to which should pay the blacksmith. The moment the girl was delivered from her irons she flung herself, all tears and frantic sobbings, into the arms of the slave who had turned away his face when she was whipped. He strained her to his breath, and smothered her face and the child's with kisses, and washed them with the rain of his tears. I suspected. I inquired. Yes, I was right. It was husband and wife. They had to be torn apart by force, the girl had to be dragged away, and she struggled and fought and shrieked like one gone mad till a turn of the road hid her from sight, and even after that we could still make out the fading plaint of those receding shrieks. And the husband and father, with his wife and child gone, never to be seen by him again in life? Well, the look of him one might not bear at all, and so I turned away. But I knew I should never get his picture out of my mind again, and there it is to this day, to wring my heart-strings whenever I think of it. We put up at the inn in a village just at nightfall, and when I rose next morning and looked abroad, I was where, where a knight came riding in the golden glory of the new day, and recognized him for knight of mine, Sir Osana Lacure Hardy. He was in the gentleman's furnishing line, and his missionarying specialty was plug hats. He was clothed all in steel, in the beautifulest armor of the time, up to where his helmet ought to have been. But he hadn't any helmet. He wore a shiny stove-pipe hat, and was ridiculous a spectacle as one might want to see. It was another of my superstitious schemes for extinguishing knighthood by making it grotesque and absurd. Sir Osana's saddle was hung about with leather hat-boxes, and every time he overcame a wandering knight, he swore him into my service and fitted him with a plug and made him wear it. I dressed and ran down to welcome Sir Osana and get his news. How is trade? I asked. Ye will note that I have but these four left. Yet were they sixteen when as I got me from Camelot. Why, you have certainly done nobly, Sir Osana. Where have you been foraging of late? I am but now come from the Valley of Holiness, please you, sir. I am pointed for that place myself. Is there anything stirring in the monkery, more than common? By the mass ye may not question it. Give him good feed, boy, and stint it not, and thou valuest thy crown. So get ye lightly to the stable, and do even as I bid. Sir, it is parlous news I bring, and be these pilgrims? Then ye may not do better, good folk, than gather and hear the tale I have to tell. Sith it concerneth you, for as much as ye go to find that ye will not find, and seek that ye will seek in vain, my life being hostage for my word, and my word and message being these, namely, that a hap has happened, whereof the like has not been seen no more but once this two hundred years which was the first and last time that that said misfortune shrake the holy valley in that form by commandment of the most high 
whereto by reasons just and causes thereunto contributing wherein the matter the miraculous font hath ceased to flow this shout burst from twenty pilgrim mouths at once ye say well good people i was verging to it even when ye spake has somebody been washing again nay it is suspected but none believe it it is thought to be some other sin but none wit what how are they feeling about the calamity none may describe it in words the fount is these nine days dry the prayers that did begin then and the lamentations in sackcloth and ashes and the holy processions none of these have ceased nor night nor day and so the monks and the nuns and the foundlings be all exhausted and do hang up prayers writ upon parchment sith that no strength is left in man to lift up voice and at last they sent for thee sir boss to try magic and enchantment and if you could not come then was the messenger to fetch merlin and he is there these three days now and saith he will fetch that water though he burst the globe and wreck its kingdoms to accomplish it and right bravely doth he work his magic and call upon his hellions to hie them hither and help but not a whiff of moisture hath he started yet even so much as might qualify as mist upon a copper mirror and ye count not the barrel of sweat he sweateth betwixt sun and sun over the dire labors of his task and if ye breakfast was ready as soon as it was over i showed to sir osanna these words which i had written on the inside of his hat chemical department laboratory extension section g p x x p send two of first size two of number three and six of number four together with the proper complementary details and two of my trained assistants and i said now get you to camelot as fast as you can fly brave knight and show the writing to clarence and tell him to have these required matters in the valley of holiness with all possible dispatch i will well sir boss and he was off end of chapter twenty one chapter twenty two the holy fountain the pilgrims were human beings otherwise they would have acted differently they had come a long and difficult journey and now when the journey was nearly finished they learned that the main thing they had come for had ceased to exist they didn't do as horses or cats or angle-worms would probably have done turn back and get at something profitable no anxious as they had before been to see the miraculous fountain they were as much as forty times as anxious now to see the place where it had used to be there is no accounting for human beings we made good time and a couple of hours before sunset we stood upon the high confines of the valley of holiness and our eyes swept it from end to end and noted its features that is its large features these were the three masses of buildings they were distant and isolated temporalities shrunken to toy constructions in the lonely waste of what seemed a desert and was such a scene is always mournful it is so impressively still and looks so steeped in death but there was a sound here which interrupted the stillness only to add to its mournfulness this was the faint far sound of tolling bells which floated fitfully to us on the passing breeze and so faintly so softly that we hardly knew whether we heard it with our ears or with our spirits we reached the monastery before dark and there the males were given lodging but the women were sent over to the nunnery 
the bells were close at hand now and their solemn booming smote upon the ear like a message of doom a superstitious despair possessed the heart of every monk and published itself in his ghastly face everywhere these black-robed soft-sandaled tallow-visaged spectres appeared flitted about and disappeared noiseless as the creatures of a troubled dream and as uncanny the old abbot's joy to see me was pathetic even to tears but he did the shedding himself he said delay not son but get to thy saving work and we bring not the water back again and soon we are ruined and the good work of two hundred years must end and see thou do it with enchantments that be holy for the church will not endure that work in her cause be done by devil's magic when i work father be sure there will be no devil's work connected with it i shall use no arts that come of the devil and no elements not created by the hand of god but is merlin working strictly on pious lines ah he said he would my son he said he would and took oath to make his promise good well in that case let him proceed but surely you will not sit idle by but help i will not answer to mix methods father neither would it be professional courtesy two of a trade must not underbid each other we might as well cut rates and be done with it it would arrive at that in the end merlin has the contract no other magician can touch it till he throws it up but i will take it from him it is a terrible emergency and the act is thereby justified and if it were not so who will give law to the church the church giveth law to all and what she wills to do that she may do hurt whom it may i will take it from him you shall begin upon the moment it may not be father no doubt as you say where power is supreme one can do as one likes and suffer no injury but we poor magicians are not so situated merlin is a very good magician in a small way and has quite a neat provincial reputation he is struggling along doing the best he can and it would not be etiquette for me to take his job until he himself abandons it the abbot's face lighted ah that is simple there are ways to persuade him to abandon it no no father it skills not as these people say if he were persuaded against his will he would load that well with a malicious enchantment which would balk me until i found out its secret it might take a month i could set up a little enchantment of mine which i call the telephone and he could not find out its secret in a hundred years yes you perceive he might block me for a month would you like to risk a month in a dry time like this a month the mere thought of it maketh me to shudder have it thy way my son but my heart is heavy with this disappointment leave me and let me wear my spirit with weariness and waiting even as i have done these ten long days counterfeiting thus the thing that is called rest the prone body making outward sign of repose where inwardly is none of course it would have been best all round for merlin to waive etiquette and quit and call it half a day since he would never be able to start that water for he was a true magician of the time which is to say the big miracles the ones that gave him his reputation always had the luck to be performed when nobody but merlin was present he couldn't start this well with all this crowd around to see a crowd was as bad for a magician's miracle in that day as it was for a spiritualist's miracle in mine 
there was sure to be some skeptic on hand to turn up the gas at the crucial moment and spoil everything. But I did not want Merlin to retire from the job until I was ready to take hold of it effectively myself, and I could not do that until I got my things from Camelot, and that would take two or three days. My presence gave the monks hope, and cheered them up a good deal, insomuch that they ate a square meal that night for the first time in ten days. As soon as their stomachs had been properly reinforced with food, their spirits began to rise fast. When the mead began to go around, they rose faster. By the time everybody was half-seas over, the holy community was in good shape to make a night of it. So we stayed by the board, and put it through on that line. Matters got to be very jolly. Good old questionable stories were told that made the tears run down and cavernous mouths stand wide, and the round bellies shake with laughter and questionable songs were bellowed out in a mighty chorus that drowned the boom of the tolling bells. At last I ventured a story myself, and vast was the success of it, not right off, of course, for the native of those islands does not as a rule dissolve upon the early applications of a humorous thing, but the fifth time I told it they began to crack in places, the eighth time I told it they began to crumble, at the twelfth repetition they fell apart in chunks, and at the fifteenth they disintegrated, and I got a broom and swept them up. This language is figurative. Those islanders, well, they are slow pay at first, in the matter of return for your investment of effort, but in the end they make the pay of all other nations poor and small by contrast. I was at the well next day betimes. Merlin was there enchanting away like a beaver, but not raising the moisture. He was not in a pleasant humor, and every time I hinted that perhaps this contract was a shade too hefty for a novice, he unlimbered his tongue and cursed like a bishop—French bishop of the Regency days, I mean. Matters were about as I expected to find them. The fountain was an ordinary well. It had been dug in the ordinary way, and stoned up in the ordinary way. There was no miracle about it. Even the lie that had created its reputation was not miraculous. I could have told it myself, with one hand tied behind me. The well was in a dark chamber, which stood in the center of a cut-stone chapel, whose walls were hung with pious pictures of a workmanship that would have made a chromo feel good, pictures historically commemorative of curative miracles which had been achieved by the waters when nobody was looking. That is, nobody but angels. They are always on deck when there is a miracle to the fore, so as to get put in the picture, perhaps. Angels are as fond of that as a fire company. Look at the old masters. The well chamber was dimly lighted by lamps. The water was drawn with a windlass and chain by monks, and poured into troughs which delivered it into stone reservoirs outside in the chapel, when there was water to draw, I mean, and none but monks could enter the well chamber. I entered it for I had temporary authority to do so, by courtesy of my professional brother and subordinate. But he hadn't entered it himself. He did everything by incantations. He never worked his intellect. If he had stepped in there and used his eyes instead of his disordered mind, he could have cured the well by natural means, and then turned it into a miracle in the customary way. But no, he was an old numbskull, a magician who believed in his own magic, and no magician can thrive who is handicapped with a superstition like that. I had an idea that the well had sprung a leak, that some of the wall-stones near the bottom had fallen and exposed fissures that allowed the water to escape. I measured the chain—ninety-eight feet. 
then i called in a couple of monks locked the door took a candle and made them lower me in the bucket when the chain was all paid out the candle confirmed my suspicion a considerable section of the wall was gone exposing a good big fissure i almost regretted that my theory about the well's trouble was correct because i had another one that had a showy point or two about it for a miracle i remembered that in america many centuries later when an oil well ceased to flow they used to blast it out with a dynamite torpedo if i should find this well dry and no explanation of it i could astonish these people most nobly by having a person of no especial value drop a dynamite bomb into it it was my idea to appoint merlin however it was plain that there was no occasion for the bomb one cannot have everything the way he would like it a man has no business to be depressed by a disappointment anyway he ought to make up his mind to get even that is what i did i said to myself i am in no hurry i can wait that bomb will come good yet and it did too when i was above ground again i turned out the monks and let down a fish-line the well was a hundred and fifty feet deep and there was forty-one feet of water in it i called in a monk and asked how deep is the well that sir i wit not having never been told how does the water usually stand in it near to the top these two centuries as the testimony goeth brought down to us through our predecessors it was true as to recent times at least for there was witness to it and better witness than a monk only about twenty or thirty feet of the chain showed wear and use the rest of it was unworn and rusty what had happened when the well gave out that other time without doubt some practical person had come along and mended the leak and then had come up and told the abbot he had discovered by divination that if the sinful bath were destroyed the well would flow again the leak had befallen again now and these children would have prayed and processioned and tolled their bells for heavenly succor till they all dried up and blew away and no innocent of them all would ever have thought to drop a fish-line into the well or go down in it and find out what was really the matter old habit of mind is one of the toughest things to get away from in the world it transmits itself like physical form and feature and for a man in those days to have had an idea that his ancestors hadn't had would have brought him under suspicion of being illegitimate i said to the monk it is a difficult miracle to restore water in a dry well but we will try if my brother merlin fails brother merlin is a very passable artist but only in the parlor magic line and he may not succeed in fact is not likely to succeed but that should be nothing to his discredit the man that can do this kind of miracle knows enough to keep hotel hotel i mind not to have heard of hotel it's what you call hostel the man that can do this miracle can keep hostel i can do this miracle i shall do this miracle yet i do not try to conceal from you that it is a miracle to tax the occult powers to the last strain none knows that truth better than the brotherhood indeed for it is of record that aforetime it was parlous difficult and took a year nathless god send you good success and to that end will we pray as a matter of business it was a good idea to get the notion around that the thing was difficult many a small thing has been made large by the right kind of advertising that monk was filled up with the difficulty of this enterprise he would fill up the others in two days the solicitude would be booming on my way home at noon i met sandy she had been sampling the hermits i said i would like to do that myself this is wednesday is there a matinee a witch please you sir 
matinee do they keep open afternoons who the hermits of course keep open yes uh, keep open isn't that plain enough do they knock off at noon knock off knock off yes knock off what is the matter with knock off i never saw such a dunderhead can't you understand anything at all in plain terms do they shut up shop draw the game bank the fires shut up shop draw there never mind let it go you make me tired you can't seem to understand the simplest thing i would i might please thee sir and it is to me dole and sorrow that i fail albeit sith i am but a simple damsel and taught of none being from the cradle unbaptized in those deep waters of learning that do anoint with a sovereignty him that partaketh of that most noble sacrament investing him with reverend state to the mental eye of the humble mortal who by bar and lack of that great consecration seeth in his own unlearned estate but a symbol of that other sort of lack and loss which men do publish to the pitying eye with sackcloth trappings whereon the ashes of grief do lie bepowdered and bestrewn and so when such shall in the darkness of his mind encounter these golden phrases of high mystery these shut-up shops and draw the game and bank the fires it is but by the grace of god that he burst not for envy of the mind that can beget and tongue that can deliver so great and mellow-sounding miracles of speech and if there do ensue confusion in that humbler mind and failure to divine the meanings of these wonders then if so be this miscomprehension is not vain but sooth and true wit ye well it is the very substance of worshipful dear homage and may not lightly be misprized nor had been and ye had noted this complexion of mood and mind and understood that that i would i could not and that i could not i might not nor yet nor might nor could nor might not nor could not might be by advantage turned to the desired would and so i pray you mercy of my fault and that ye will of your kindness and your charity forgive it good my master and most dear lord i couldn't make it all out that is the details but i got the general idea and enough of it too to be ashamed it was not fair to spring those nineteenth-century technicalities upon the untutored infant of the sixth and then rail at her because she couldn't get their drift and when she was making the honest best drive at it she could too and no fault of hers that she couldn't fetch the home plate and so i apologized then we meandered pleasantly away toward the hermit holes in sociable converse together and better friends than ever i was gradually coming to have a mysterious and shuddery reverence for this girl nowadays whenever she pulled out from the station and got her train fairly started on one of those horizonless transcontinental sentences of hers it was borne in upon me that i was standing in the awful presence of the mother of the german language i was so impressed with this that sometimes when she began to empty one of these sentences on me i unconsciously took the very attitude of reverence and stood uncovered and if words had been water i had been drowned sure she had exactly the german way whatever was in her mind to be delivered whether a mere remark or a sermon or a cyclopedia or the history of a war she would get it into a single sentence or die whenever the literary german dives into a sentence that is the last you are going to see of him till he emerges on the other side of his atlantic with his verb in his mouth we drifted from hermit to hermit all the afternoon 
it was a most strange menagerie the chief emulation among them seemed to be to see which could manage to be the uncleanest and most prosperous with vermin their manner and attitudes were the last expression of complacent self-righteousness it was one anchorite's pride to lie naked in the mud and let the insects bite him and blister him unmolested it was another's to lean against a rock all day long conspicuous to the admiration of the throng of pilgrims and pray it was another's to go naked and crawl around on all fours it was another's to drag about with him year in and year out eighty pounds of iron it was another's to never lie down when he slept but to stand among the thorn-bushes and snore when there were pilgrims around to look a woman who had the white hair of age and no other apparel was black from crown to heel with forty-seven years of holy abstinence from water groups of gazing pilgrims stood around all and every of these strange objects lost in reverent wonder and envious of the fleckless sanctity which these pious austerities had won for them from an exacting heaven by and by we went to see one of the supremely great ones he was a mighty celebrity his fame had penetrated all christendom the noble and the renowned journeyed from the remotest lands on the globe to pay him reverence his stand was in the centre of the widest part of the valley and it took all that space to hold his crowds his stand was a pillar sixty feet high with a broad platform on top of it he was now doing what he had been doing every day for twenty years up there bowing his body ceaselessly and rapidly almost to his feet it was his way of praying i timed him with a stopwatch and he made one thousand two hundred and forty four revolutions in twenty-four minutes and forty-six seconds it seemed a pity to have all this power going to waste it was one of the most useful motions in mechanics the pedal movement so i made a note in my memorandum book proposing some day to apply a system of elastic cords to him and run a sewing machine with it i afterward carried out that scheme and got five years good service out of him in which time he turned out upward of eighteen thousand first-rate tow linen shirts which was ten a day i worked him sundays and all he was going sundays the same as weekdays and it was no use to waste the power these shirts cost me nothing but just the mere trifle for the materials i furnished those myself it would not have been right to make him do that and they sold like smoke to pilgrims at a dollar and a half apiece which was the price of fifty cows or a blooded racehorse in arthurdom they were regarded as a perfect protection against sin and advertised as such by my knights everywhere with the paint-pot and stencil-plate insomuch that there was not a cliff or boulder or a dead wall in england but you could read on it at a mile distance by the only genuine saint stylite patronized by the nobility patent applied for there was more money in the business than one knew what to do with as it extended i brought out a line of goods suitable for kings and a knobby thing for duchesses and that sort with ruffles down the forehatch and the running gear clued up with a feather stitch to the leeward and then hauled aft with a backstay and triced up with a half turn in the standing rigging forward of the weather gaskets yes it was a daisy but about that time i noticed that the motive power had taken to standing on one leg and i found that there was something the matter with the other one so i stocked the business and unloaded taking sir bors de ganis into camp financially along with certain of his friends for the work stopped within a year and the good saint got him to his rest but he had earned it i can say that for him 
when i saw him that first time however his personal condition will not quite bear description here you can read it in the lives of the saints note all the details concerning the hermits in this chapter are from lecky but greatly modified this book not being a history but only a tale the majority of the historian's frank details were too strong for reproduction in it editor end of chapter 22 chapter 23 restoration of the fountain saturday noon i went to the well and looked on a while merlin was still burning smoke-powders and pawing the air and muttering gibberish as hard as ever but looking pretty downhearted for of course he had not started even a perspiration in that well yet finally i said how does the thing promise by this time partner behold i am even now busied with trial of the powerfulest enchantment known to the princes of the occult arts in the lands of the east and it fail me naught can avail peace until i finish he raised a smoke this time that darkened all the region and must have made matters uncomfortable for the hermits for the wind was their way and it rolled down over their dens in a dense and billowy fog he poured out volumes of speech to match and contorted his body and sawed the air with his hands in a most extraordinary way at the end of twenty minutes he dropped down panting and about exhausted now arrived the abbot and several hundred monks and nuns and behind them a multitude of pilgrims and a couple of acres of foundlings all drawn by the prodigious smoke and all in a grand state of excitement the abbot inquired anxiously for results merlin said if any labor of mortal might break the spell that binds these waters this which i have but just essayed had done it it has failed whereby i do now know that that which i had feared is a truth established the sign of this failure is that the most potent spirit known to the magicians of the east and whose name none may utter and live has laid his spell upon this well the mortal does not breathe nor ever will who can penetrate the secret of that spell and without that secret none can break it the water will flow no more forever good father i have done what man could suffer me to go of course this threw the abbot into a good deal of consternation he turned to me with the signs of it in his face and said ye have heard him is it true part of it is not all then not all what part is true that that spirit with the russian name has put his spell upon the well god's wounds then are we ruined possibly but not certainly ye mean not certainly that is it wherefore ye also mean that when he saith none can break the spell yes when he says that he says what isn't necessarily true there are conditions under which an effort to break it may have some chance that is some small some trifling chance of success the conditions oh they are nothing difficult only these i want the well and the surroundings for the space of half a mile entirely to myself from sunset to-day until i remove the ban and nobody allowed to cross the ground but by my authority are these all yes and you have no fear to try oh none one may fail of course and one may also succeed one can try and i am ready to chance it i 
have my conditions these and all others ye may name i will issue commandment to that effect wait said merlin with an evil smile ye wit that he that would break this spell must know that spirit's name yes i know his name and wit you also that to know it skills not of itself but ye must likewise pronounce it ha <laughs> knew ye that yes i knew that too you had that knowledge art a fool are ye minded to utter that name and die utter it why certainly i would utter it if it was welsh ye are even a dead man then and i go to tell arthur that's all right take your gripsack and get along the thing for you to do is to go home and work the weather john w merlin it was a home shot and it made him wince for he was the worst weather failure in the kingdom whenever he ordered up the danger signals along the coast there was a week's dead calm sure and every time he prophesied fair weather it rained brickbats but i kept him in the weather bureau right along to undermine his reputation however that shot raised his bile and instead of starting home to report my death he said he would remain and enjoy it my two experts arrived in the evening and pretty well fagged for they had traveled double tides they had pack mules along and had brought everything i needed tools pump lead pipe greek fire sheaves of big rockets roman candles colored fire sprays electric apparatus and a lot of sundries everything necessary for the stateliest kind of a miracle they got their supper and a nap and about midnight we sallied out through a solitude so wholly vacant and complete that it quite overpassed the required conditions we took possession of the well and its surroundings my boys were experts in all sorts of things from the stoning up of a well to the constructing of a mathematical instrument an hour before sunrise we had that leak mended in shipshape fashion and the water began to rise then we stowed our fireworks in the chapel locked up the place and went home to bed before the noon mass was over we were at the well again for there was a deal to do yet and i was determined to spring the miracle before midnight for business reasons for whereas a miracle worked for the church on a weekday is worth a good deal it is worth six times as much if you get it in on a sunday in nine hours the water had risen to its customary level that is to say it was within twenty-three feet of the top we put in a little iron pump one of the first turned out by my works near the capital we bored into a stone reservoir which stood against the outer wall of the well chamber and inserted a section of lead pipe that was long enough to reach the door of the chapel and project beyond the threshold where the gushing water would be visible to the two hundred and fifty acres of people i was intending should be present on the flat plain in front of this little holy hillock at the proper time we knocked the head out of an empty hogshead and hoisted this hogshead to the flat roof of the chapel where we clamped it down fast poured in gunpowder till it lay loosely an inch deep on the bottom then we stood up rockets in the hogshead as thick as they would loosely stand all the different breeds of rockets there are and they made a portly and imposing sheaf i can tell you we grounded the wire of a pocket electrical battery in that powder we placed a whole magazine of greek fire on each corner of the roof blue on one corner green on another red on another and purple on the last and grounded a wire in each about two hundred yards off in the flat we built a pen of scantlings about four feet high and laid planks on it and so made a platform 
we covered it with swell tapestries borrowed for the occasion and topped it off with the abbot's own throne when you are going to do a miracle for an ignorant race you want to get in every detail that will count you want to make all the properties impressive to the public eye you want to make matters comfortable for your head guest then you can turn yourself loose and play your effects for all they are worth i know the value of these things for i know human nature you can't throw too much style into a miracle it costs trouble and work and sometimes money but it pays in the end well we brought the wires to the ground at the chapel and then brought them under the ground to the platform and hid the batteries there we put a rope fence a hundred feet square around the platform to keep off the common multitude and that finished the work my idea was doors open at ten thirty performance to begin at eleven twenty five sharp i wished i could charge admission but of course that wouldn't answer i instructed my boys to be in the chapel as early as ten before anybody was around and be ready to man the pumps at the proper time and make the fur fly then we went home to supper the news of the disaster to the well had traveled far by this time and now for two or three days a steady avalanche of people had been pouring into the valley the lower end of the valley was become one huge camp we should have a good house no question about that criers went the rounds early in the evening and announced the coming attempt which put every pulse up to fever heat they gave notice that the abbot and his official suite would move in state and occupy the platform at ten thirty up to which time all the region which was under my ban must be clear the bells would then cease from tolling and this sign should be permission to the multitudes to close in and take their places i was at the platform and all ready to do the honors when the abbot's solemn procession hove in sight which it did not do till it was nearly to the rope fence because it was a starless black night and no torches permitted with it came merlin and took a front seat on the platform he was as good as his word for once one could not see the multitudes banked together beyond the band but they were there just the same the moment the bells stopped those banked masses broke and poured over the line like a vast black wave and for as much as a half hour it continued to flow and then it solidified itself and you could have walked upon a pavement of human heads to well miles we had a solemn stage wait now for about twenty minutes a thing i had counted on for effect it is always good to let your audience have a chance to work up its expectancy at length out of the silence a noble latin chant men's voices broke and swelled up and rolled away into the night a majestic tide of melody i had put that up too and it was one of the best effects i ever invented when it was finished i stood up on the platform and extended my hands abroad for two minutes with my face uplifted that always produces a dead hush and then slowly pronounced this ghastly word with a kind of awfulness which caused hundreds to tremble and many women to faint constantinopolitanischer dudelsax pfeifenmachers gesellschaft just as i was moaning out the closing hunks of that word i touched off one of my electric connections and all that murky world of people stood revealed in a hideous blue glare it was immense that effect lots of people shrieked women curled up and quit in every direction foundlings collapsed by platoons the abbot and the monks crossed themselves nimbly and their lips fluttered with agitated prayers merlin held his grip but he was astonished clear down to his corns 
he had never seen anything to begin with that before. Now was the time to pile in the effects. I lifted my hands and groaned out this word, as it were in agony. Nihilisten dynamite theater scheitschens plankens astendens versagungen and turned on the red fire. You should have heard that Atlantic of people moan and howl when that crimson hell joined the blue. After sixty seconds I shouted, Transvaal Truppen, Truppen, Transport, Trampel, Theater, Übertragens, Streiten, Tragedy, and lit up the green fire. After waiting only forty seconds this time, I spread my arms abroad and thundered out the devastating syllables of this word of words. Mannen, Massen, Menken, Mörder, Mohren, Mütter, Marmor, Monumentumacher, and whirled on the purple glare. There they were, all going at once red, blue, green, purple. Four furious volcanoes pouring vast clouds of radiant smoke aloft and spreading a blinding rainbowed noonday to the furthest confines of that valley. In the distance one could see that fellow on the pillar standing rigid against the background of sky, his seesaw stopped for the first time in twenty years. I knew the boys were at the pump now and ready, so I said to the abbot, "'The time is come, father. I am about to pronounce the dread name and command the spell to dissolve. You want to brace up and take hold of something.' Then I shouted to the people, Behold! In another minute the spell will be broken, or no mortal can break it. If it break, all will know it, for you will see the sacred water gush from the chapel door. I stood a few moments to let the hearers have a chance to spread my announcement to those who couldn't hear, and so convey it to the furthest ranks. Then I made a grand exhibition of extra-posturing and gesturing, and shouted, "'Lo! I command the fell spirit that possesses the holy fountain to now disgorge into the skies all the infernal fires that still remain in him, and straightway dissolve his spell and flee hence to the pit!' there to lie bound a thousand years. By his own dread name I command it. Then I touched off the hogshead of rockets, and a vast fountain of dazzling lances of fire vomited itself toward the zenith with a hissing rush, and burst in mid-sky into a storm of flashing jewels. One mighty groan of terror started up from the massed people, then suddenly broke into a wild hosanna of joy, for there, fair and plain, in the uncanny glare, they saw the freed water leaping forth. The old abbot could not speak a word for tears and the choking in his throat. Without utterance of any sort, he folded me in his arms and mashed me. It was more eloquent than speech and harder to get over, too, in a country where there were really no doctors that were worth a damaged nickel. You should have seen those acres of people throw themselves down in that water and kiss it, kiss it, and pet it, and fondle it, and talk to it as if it were alive, and welcome it back with the dear names they gave their darlings, 
just as if it had been a friend who was long gone away and lost and was come home again yes it was pretty to see and made me think more of them than i had done before i sent merlin home on a shutter he had caved in and gone down like a landslide when i pronounced that fearful name and had never come to since he never had heard that name before neither had i but to him it was the right one any jumble would have been the right one he admitted afterward that the spirit's own mother could not have pronounced that name better than i did he never could understand how i survived it and i didn't tell him it is only young magicians that give away a secret like that merlin spent three months working enchantments to try to find out the deep trick of how to pronounce that name and outlive it but he didn't arrive when i started to the chapel the populace uncovered and fell back reverently to make a wide way for me as if i had been some kind of a superior being and i was i was aware of that i took along a night shift of monks and taught them the mystery of the pump and set them to work for it was plain that a good part of the people out there were going to sit up with the water all night consequently it was but right that they should have all they wanted of it to those monks that pump was a good deal of a miracle itself and they were full of wonder over it and of admiration too of the exceeding effectiveness of its performance it was a great night an immense night there was reputation in it i could hardly get to sleep for glorying over it end of chapter twenty three chapter twenty four a rival magician my influence in the valley of holiness was something prodigious now it seemed worth while to try to turn it to some valuable account the thought came to me the next morning and was suggested by my seeing one of my knights who was in the soap line come riding in according to history the monks of this place two centuries before had been worldly minded enough to want to wash it might be that there was a leaven of this unrighteousness still remaining so i sounded a brother wouldn't you like a bath he shuddered at the thought the thought of the peril of it to the well but he said with feeling one needs not to ask that of a poor body who has not known that blessed refreshment sith that he was a boy would god i might wash me but it may not be fair sir tempt me not it is forbidden and then he sighed in such a sorrowful way that i was resolved he should have at least one layer of his real estate removed if it sized up my whole influence and bankrupted the pile so i went to the abbot and asked for a permit for this brother he blenched at the idea i don't mean that you could see him blench for of course you couldn't see it without you scraped him and i didn't care enough about it to scrape him but i knew the blench was there just the same and within a book's covers thickness of the surface too blenched and trembled he said ah son ask aught else thou wilt and it is thine and freely granted out of a grateful heart but this oh this would you drive away the blessed water again no father i will not drive it away i have mysterious knowledge which teaches me that there was an error that other time when it was thought the institution of the bath banished the fountain a large interest began to show up in the old man's face my knowledge informs me that the bath was innocent of that misfortune which was caused by quite another sort of sin these are brave words but uh, 
but right welcome if they be true oh, they are true indeed let me build the bath again father let me build it again and the fountain shall flow for ever you promise this you promise this say the word say you promise it i do promise it then will i have the first bath myself go get ye to your work tarry not tarry not but go i and my boys were at work straight off the ruins of the old bath were there yet in the basement of the monastery not a stone missing they had been left just so all these lifetimes and avoided with a pious fear as things accursed in two days we had it all done and the water in a spacious pool of clear pure water that a body could swim in it was running water too it came in and went out through the ancient pipes the old abbot kept his word and was the first to try it he went down black and shaky leaving the whole black community above troubled and worried and full of bodings but he came back white and joyful and the game was made another triumph scored it was a good campaign that we made in that valley of holiness and i was very well satisfied and ready to move on now but i struck a disappointment i caught a heavy cold and it started up an old lurking rheumatism of mine of course the rheumatism hunted up my weakest place and located itself there this was the place where the abbot put his arms about me and mashed me what time he was moved to testify his gratitude to me with an embrace when at last i got out i was a shadow but everybody was full of attentions and kindnesses and these brought cheer back into my life and were the right medicine to help a convalescent swiftly up toward health and strength again so i gained fast sandy was worn out with nursing so i made up my mind to turn out and go a cruise alone leaving her at the nunnery to rest up my idea was to disguise myself as a free man of peasant degree and wander through the country a week or two on foot this would give me a chance to eat and lodge with the lowliest and poorest class of free citizens on equal terms there was no other way to inform myself perfectly of their everyday life and the operation of the laws upon it if i went among them as a gentleman there would be restraints and conventionalities which would shut me out from their private joys and troubles and i would get no further than the outside shell one morning i was out on a long walk to get up muscle for my trip and had climbed the ridge which bordered the northern extremity of the valley when i came upon an artificial opening in the face of a low precipice and recognized it by its location as a hermitage which had often been pointed out to me from a distance as the den of a hermit of high renown for dirt and austerity i knew he had lately been offered a situation in the great sahara where lions and sand-flies made the hermit life peculiarly attractive and difficult and had gone to africa to take possession so i thought i would look in and see how the atmosphere of this den agreed with its reputation my surprise was great the place was newly swept and scoured then there was another surprise back in the gloom of the cavern i heard the clink of a little bell and then this exclamation hello central is this you camelot behold thou mayst glad thy heart and thou hast faith to believe the wonderful when that it cometh in unexpected guise and maketh itself manifest in impossible places here standeth in the flesh his mightiness the boss and with thine own ears shall ye hear him speak now what a radical reversal of things this was what a jumbling together of extravagant incongruities 
what a fantastic conjunction of opposites and irreconcilables the home of the bogus miracle become the home of a real one the den of a medieval hermit turned into a telephone office the telephone clerk stepped into the light and i recognized one of my young fellows i said how long has this office been established here ulfius but since midnight fair sir boss and it please you we saw many lights in the valley and so judged it well to make a station for that where so many lights be needs must they indicate a town of goodly size quite right it isn't a town in the customary sense but it's a good stand anyway do you know where you are of that i have had no time to make inquiry for when as my comradeship moved hence upon their labors leaving me in charge i got me to needed rest proposing to inquire when i waked and report the place's name to camelot for record well this is the valley of holiness it didn't take i mean he didn't start at the name as i had supposed he would he merely said i will so report it why the surrounding regions are filled with the noise of late wonders that have happened here you didn't hear of them ah ye will remember we move by night and avoid speech withal we learn naught but that we get by the telephone from camelot why they know all about this thing haven't they told you anything about the great miracle of the restoration of a holy fountain oh that indeed yes but the name of this valley doth woundily differ from the name of that one indeed to differ wider were not possible what was the name then the valley of hellishness that explains it confound a telephone anyway it is the very demon for conveying similarities of sound that are miracles of divergence from similarity of sense but no matter you know the name of the place now call up camelot he did it and had clarence sent for it was good to hear my boy's voice again it was like being home after some affectionate interchanges and some account of my late illness i said what is new the king and queen and many of the court do start even in this hour to go to your valley to pay pious homage to the waters ye have restored and cleanse themselves of sin and see the place where the infernal spirit spouted true hell flames to the clouds and ye listen sharply ye may hear me wink and hear me likewise smile a smile since twas i that made selection of those flames from out of our stock and sent them by your order does the king know the way to this place the king no nor to any other in his realms mayhap but the lads that hope you with your miracle will be his guide and lead the way and appoint the places for rests at noons and sleeps at night this will bring them here when mid-afternoon or later the third day anything else in the way of news the king hath begun the raising of the standing army he suggested to him one regiment is complete and officered the mischief i wanted a main hand in that myself there is only one body of men in the kingdom that are fitted to officer a regular army yes and now ye will marvel to know there's not so much as one west pointer in that regiment what are you talking about are you in earnest it is truly as i have said why this is making me uneasy who were chosen and what was the method competitive examination indeed i know naught of the method i but know this these officers be all of noble family and are born uh, what is it you call it uh, chuckleheads there's something wrong clarence 
comfort yourself then for two candidates for lieutenancy do travel hence with the king young nobles both and if you but wait where you are you will hear them questioned that is news to the purpose i will get one west pointer in anyway mount a man and send him to that school with a message let him kill horses if necessary but he must be there before sunset to-night and say there is no need i have laid a ground wire to the school prithee let me connect you with it, it sounded good in this atmosphere of telephones and lightning communication with distant regions i was breathing the breath of life again after long suffocation i realized then what a creepy dull inanimate horror this land had been to me all these years and how i had been in such a stifled condition of mind as to have grown used to it almost beyond the power to notice it i gave my order to the superintendent of the academy personally i also asked him to bring me some paper and a fountain pen and a box or so of safety matches i was getting tired of doing without these conveniences I could have them now, as I wasn't going to wear armor any more at present, and therefore could get at my pockets. When I got back to the monastery I found a thing of interest going on. The abbot and his monks were assembled in the great hall, observing with childish wonder and faith the performances of a new magician, a fresh arrival. His dress was the extreme of the fantastic, as showy and foolish as the sort of thing an Indian medicine man wears he was mowing and mumbling and gesticulating and drawing mystical figures in the air and on the floor the regular thing you know he was a celebrity from asia so he said and that was enough that sort of evidence was as good as gold and passed current everywhere how easy and cheap it was to be a great magician on this fellow's terms his specialty was to tell you what any individual on the face of the globe was doing at the moment and what he had done at any time in the past and what he would do at any time in the future. He asked if any would like to know what the Emperor of the East was doing now. The sparkling eyes and the delighted rubbing of hands made eloquent answer. This reverend crowd would like to know what that monarch was at, just at this moment. The fraud went through some more mummery, and then made grave announcement. The high and mighty Emperor of the East doth at this moment put money in the palm of a holy begging friar, one, two, three pieces, and they be all of silver. A buzz of admiring exclamations broke out all around. It is marvelous, wonderful, what study, what labor, to have acquired a so amazing power as this. Would they like to know what the Supreme Lord of Ind was doing? Yes. He told them what the Supreme Lord of Ind was doing. Then he told them what the Sultan of Egypt was at, also what the King of the Remote Seas was about, and so on and so on. And with each new marvel the astonishment at his accuracy rose higher and higher. They thought he must surely strike an uncertain place sometime, but no, he never had to hesitate, he always knew, and always with unerring precision. I saw that if this thing went on I should lose my supremacy. This fellow would capture my following. I should be left out in the cold. I must put a cog in his wheel and do it right away, too. I said, If I may ask, I should very greatly like to know what a certain person is doing. Speak and freely, I will tell you. It will be difficult, perhaps impossible. My art knows not the word. The more difficult it is, the more certainly will I reveal it to you. You see, I was working up the interest. It was getting pretty high, too. You could see that by the craning necks all around, and the half-suspended breathing. 
So now I climaxed it. If you make no mistake, if you tell me truly what I want to know, I will give you two hundred silver pennies. The fortune is mine. I will tell you what you would know. Then tell me what I am doing with my right hand. Ah! There was a general gasp of surprise. It had not occurred to anybody in the crowd that simple trick of inquiring about somebody who wasn't ten thousand miles away. The magician was hit hard. It was an emergency that had never happened in his experience before, and it corked him. He didn't know how to meet it. He looked stunned, confused. He couldn't say a word. "'Come,' I said. "'What are you waiting for? Is it possible you can answer up right off and tell what anybody on the other side of the earth is doing, and yet can't tell what a person is doing who isn't three yards from you? Persons behind me know what I am doing with my right hand. They will endorse you if you tell correctly.' He was still dumb. "'Very well. I'll tell you why you don't speak up and tell. It is because you don't know. You a magician. Good friends, this tramp is a mere fraud and liar.' This distressed the monks and terrified them. They were not used to hearing these awful beings called names, and they did not know what might be the consequence. There was a dead silence now. Superstitious bodings were in every mind. The magician began to pull his wits together, and when he presently smiled an easy nonchalant smile it spread a mighty relief around, for it indicated that his mood was not destructive. He said, "'It hath struck me speechless the frivolity of this person's speech. Let all know, if perchance there be any who know it not, that enchanters of my degree deign not to concern themselves with the doings of any but kings, princes, emperors, them that be born in the purple, and them only. Had ye asked me what Arthur the great king is doing, it were another matter, and I had told ye, but the doings of a subject interest me not. Oh, I misunderstood you. I thought you said anybody, and so I supposed anybody included, well, anybody, that is, everybody, it doth anybody that is of lofty birth, and the better if he be royal. That it beseemeth might be well, said the abbot, who saw his opportunity to smooth things and avert disaster, for it were not likely that so wonderful a gift as this would be conferred for the revelation of the concerns of lesser beings than such as be born near to the summits of greatness. Our Arthur the king— would you know of him broke in the enchanter most gladly yea and gratefully everybody was full of awe and interest again right away the incorrigible idiots they watched the incantations absorbingly and looked at me with a there now what can you say to that air when the announcement came the king is weary with the chase and lieth in his palace these two hours sleeping a dreamless sleep God's benison upon him, said the abbot, and crossed himself. May that sleep be to the refreshment of his body and his soul. And so it might be, if he were sleeping, I said. But the king is not sleeping. The king rides. Here was trouble again, a conflict of authority. Nobody knew which of us to believe. I still had some reputation left. The magician's scorn was stirred, and he said, lo i have seen many wonderful soothsayers and prophets and magicians in my life days but none before that could sit idle and see to the heart of things with never an incantation to help you have lived in the woods and lost much by it i use incantations myself as this good brotherhood are aware but only on occasions of moment 
when it comes to sarcasming i reckon i know how to keep my end up that jab made this fellow squirm the abbot inquired after the queen and the court and got this information they be all on sleep being overcome by fatigue like as to the king i said that is merely another lie half of them are about their amusements the queen and the other half are not sleeping they ride now perhaps you can spread yourself a little and tell us where the king and queen and all that are this moment riding with them are going they sleep now as i said but on the morrow they will ride for they go a journey toward the sea and where will they be the day after to-morrow at vespers far to the north of camelot and half their journey will be done that is another lie by the space of a hundred and fifty miles their journey will not be merely half done it will be all done and they will be here in this valley that was a noble shot it set the abbot and the monks in a whirl of excitement and it rocked the enchanter to his base i followed the thing right up if the king does not arrive i will have myself ridden on a rail if he does i will ride you on a rail instead next day i went up to the telephone office and found that the king had passed through two towns that were on the line i spotted his progress on the succeeding day in the same way i kept these matters to myself the third day's reports showed that if he kept up his gait he would arrive by four in the afternoon there was still no sign anywhere of interest in his coming there seemed to be no preparations making to receive him in state a strange thing truly only one thing could explain this that other magician had been cutting under me sure this was true i asked a friend of mine a monk about it and he said yes the magician had tried some further enchantments and found out that the court had concluded to make no journey at all but stay at home think of that observe how much a reputation was worth in such a country these people had seen me do the very showiest bit of magic in history and the only one within their memory that had a positive value and yet here they were ready to take up with an adventurer who could offer no evidence of his powers but his mere unproven word however it was not good politics to let the king come without any fuss and feathers at all so i went down and drummed up a procession of pilgrims and smoked out a batch of hermits and started them out at two o'clock to meet him and that was the sort of state he arrived in the abbot was helpless with rage and humiliation when i brought him out on a balcony and showed him the head of the state marching in and never a monk on hand to offer him welcome and no stir of life or clang of joy-bell to glad his spirit he took one look and then flew to rouse out his forces the next minute the bells were dinning furiously and the various buildings were vomiting monks and nuns who went swarming in a rush toward the coming procession and with them went that magician and he was on a rail too by the abbot's order and his reputation was in the mud and mine was in the sky again yes a man can keep his trademark current in such a country but he can't sit around and do it he has got to be on deck and attending to business right along end of chapter twenty four